The text for this morning's sermon, Acts chapter 1, verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Starman has traveled almost 3.5 billion kilometers in the last four years. Back in 2018, Elon Musk and his company launched a Tesla Roadster into space, and sitting in the driver's seat is a mannequin called Starman. He's been traveling ever since, three and a half billion kilometers as of the last count. Now, on Thursday, we gathered to worship and thank God for the ascension of our Lord Jesus and at the ascension, a real human being lifted off from the earth and went up into the heavens. And have you ever stopped to think about where that ends up? How long does he keep on ascending? Where does he end up? And we know from the scriptures and we know for certain that the Lord Jesus is not wandering randomly about interstellar space like Starman. But the Lord Jesus went up to a specific destination. He was going home. And if we, as we look at our text, we see that he ascends into heaven and a cloud took him out of their sight. And that word, that cloud, is important. And I want to trace with you in this sermon the idea of the cloud as it connects to the ascension of our Lord as we go through the scriptures. Now, if we go back from the ascension, back into the gospels, and we come to Matthew chapter 17, and you remember the Lord Jesus with a few of his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the scripture says a bright cloud overshadowed them, didn't just overshadow them, but they were enveloped in it. It was the cloud of God's glory. It was bright. And in that cloud, Jesus shines with glory. His face, says the scripture, shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Now, where have we seen that before in the scriptures? That someone in the presence of the glory of God, a human being, their face shines. Well, we remember that's back in the Old Testament. That's what happened to Moses when he would go up the mountain and go into the cloud. And he was in the presence of the glory of God. What the Jews call the Shekinah glory, the glory of the presence. And when Moses would go up into the cloud of glory, and when he would come out again, his face would shine. But Jesus is not like Moses. Jesus, unlike Moses, does not shine with a reflected glory. The scripture tells us that he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is at home in the light and the majesty and the glory. If you have your Bible handy, turn to 2 Peter 1, 17 and 18. Peter is reminiscing, 2 Peter 1, 17, he's reminiscing about the time that he was on the mountain of transfiguration, and he says this, page 1018, 
He says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And so that cloud of majestic glory is a description of the presence of the glory of God. And the voice which comes out of it is the voice from heaven. And so what the Lord was giving those disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration was a glimpse of who Jesus really is, clothed with the glory that he had with the Father before all worlds. And as we track back through the scripture, we see that connection between the cloud and the presence of God and the glory of God. We go back to Ezekiel, we see him describing the temple, and he says the temple was filled with a cloud. And then he says the temple was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. And then you go back even further in the scriptures to Solomon at the inauguration of the temple. And there in 1 Kings chapter 8, we read this, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. The glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The cloud, the presence, and the glory, they're all together. You go back even further in the scripture. Moses at the inauguration of the tabernacle. And we read in Exodus chapter 40 that when it was all finished, then a cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now if you have your Bible still handy, look at Exodus chapter 24 and verse 15. Exodus 24, 15, where the scripture says this, then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. So this is before the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So there it is again, the presence of God, the glory of God, and the cloud. And it was glorious. The appearance, as we keep reading there in Exodus chapter 24, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like flashes of fire. It was, a, it was an exhilarating. It was a glorious. It was an impressive event, but it was also, therefore, frightening. You remember what God's instruction was to the people. You can't even get near to the mountain, let alone touch it. It will be certain death. And so there is something about the cloud of glory which keeps human beings, keeps us, keeps sinners away. And we see that in Exodus chapter 40, verse 35. We're going to go forward in history now. Exodus chapter 40, verse uh, 35. Here, the tabernacle's finished. And see what happens. We already commented on verse 34. The cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. But here's the, the consequence of that, verse 35. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled in it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He can't get in. 
He can't come into the presence of God there in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle because there's too much glory. And it takes nine chapters if we read from the end of Exodus there and we go on into Leviticus. It's only in Leviticus chapter 9 after Moses has by God's instruction, instituted all kinds of sacrifices and all kinds of anointings and ceremonial washings. And finally, after nine chapters of that, nine chapters of careful preparations for how sinners can come into the presence of a holy God, finally, when Aaron and his sons are ordained and the sacrifices are brought, then in chapter 9, Moses and Aaron were able to enter the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And so that is the message of the Old Testament, that God dwells in unapproachable light and glory. It is the glory of his presence. And you can't just waltz in there anytime you want. You think of what he says to Moses in Leviticus 16, verse 2, if you have your Bible handy, Leviticus 16, 2. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. And so only the high priest could come, but he couldn't come whenever he wanted. He could only come when God said, which was once a year. He could only come with all kinds of blood, the blood of the sacrifices and all kinds of holy washings. And so the entire tabernacle later on the temple were built in such a way as to tell sinners that you can't come in. The cherubim were embroidered on the veil, which separated the presence of the cloud of glory of God from the sinner. And the cherubim are guardians of God's holiness. You remember what they did to Adam and Eve. They kicked them out of the garden. They said, stay out. You can't come in. That's what cherubim do. They tell sinners, stay away. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You cannot attain to this. You are not good enough. And you will never be good enough to dwell in God's presence. That's the teaching of the Old Testament. At Psalm 24, those verses we sang at the beginning, who can ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy presence? Not us. Not me. So the Holy of Holies was a picture of Eden, the place where man and woman could be with God where man and woman dwelt in the presence of God and had sweet fellowship with him. And so that's why the temple of the tabernacle had the cherubim and all kinds of fruits and, and trees uh, pictured in the various decorations because it was a picture of the paradise from which we have been exiled. But, but paradise, Eden itself was a picture Eden was a picture of heaven. And heaven is the most exalted part of the created universe. It is an actual physical location in time and space. 
That's where Enoch went. That's where Elijah went when he was raised up to heaven. That's where the Lord Jesus is even now with his real human body. That's what Stephen saw when he was being martyred. When God opened up a window into heaven and he saw the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Heaven is that part of the physical universe where God holds court with his creation. God doesn't need a home. He doesn't need a temple, a tabernacle, a church building. He doesn't even need a physical heaven because he is beyond space and time. But he has heaven to meet with his creatures, we creatures, human beings, the heavenly beings, the angels. We need space and time, and so God has heaven to interact with his creation. And there in heaven, there are the heavenly beings, and there are billions of angels, and 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there is pure, breathtaking, exultant worship and pure joy. And the entire Old Testament and all the ceremonies say to us sinners, you don't belong. You are shut out. You may not come in. You may not come home. The entire thrust of life after the fall is away from God, not up towards God, but down to the dust, down to the earth, down to Sheol, down to death. And that causes an, an incredible tension in the human heart because the Scripture says that God has put eternity in man's heart. God made us to live with him. God made us to be his beloved children, to, to be with him and to enjoy him forever. And so every human being feels that even those who do not, have never even heard of the gospel, they have that in their heart, that there's something more, there's something bigger, there's something missing. And to those who know some of the gospel, it incites longing, the longing of the psalmist, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I'm dwelling in a, in a world full of death and brokenness, but my soul thirsts. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? When will the day come when I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever? And the more we know the gospel, the more we long for that. And the more the tension grows. And then Jesus came. And Jesus was conceived. He was born, he suffered, he died, and that curtain temple was ripped from top to bottom, and he rose from the earth, the new Adam, and with clean hands and a pure heart and with perfect goodness, certainly he could ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. And no cherubim, no cherub was going to say to Jesus, stay out. They couldn't. They stood aside. They fell down and prostrated themselves in worship as the Lord of glory, 
the new Adam, the last Adam, entered into the presence of God, ascended the hill of the Lord, stood in his holy place. He entered the cloud of glory. He entered heavenly glory to the exultant shouts of praise of countless angels and heavenly beings. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Now that in the Old Testament was understood to be a reference to Yahweh, the King of glory, and in the New Testament time, the Lord Jesus fulfills that in his person, his work. The apostle calls Jesus at one place in the New Testament, the Lord of glory. And he enters heaven, coming home not just as the Son of God, but specifically as the Son of God, true God, true man, who in his human nature is the last Adam. Now Aaron carried a blood sacrifice into the Holy of Holies once a year. That's what got him in, but it didn't keep him there. He couldn't walk into the Holy of Holies and scatter the blood around and then sit down on top of the ark. He couldn't do that, he would die. He had to leave real quick. But Jesus brings a better sacrifice. Jesus brings a sacrifice which actually works. Jesus brings the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. What does the scripture say? Hebrews chapter one, Jesus, after making purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He walked in and he made himself at home and he sat right down on the throne of the universe. Now it says that he did that after making purification for sins, but children, you know that the Lord Jesus had no sins to make purification for. He never sinned. He didn't need purification. And so we know that that is our sin that was dealt with, that he is there after dealing with our problem, with our sins that were heaped upon him on the cross. And he wiped them all out by his death, by his sacrifice, by the shedding of his blood. And so the Lord Jesus is there as our Savior, as our Lord, as the head of the church, his body, and we have a vital, living, unbreakable connection to him. Now those who are in sin, those who are in unbelief, those who are outside of Christ are in the old Adam and they are connected to that head of a dying and condemned human race. Sinners outside of Christ are connected to a dead and decaying head. Adam, even now, is in the dust of the earth. That's where his flesh is. And there is no hope for those outside of Christ. There is no hope for those who are in the old Adam, but for those who are in Christ, for those who are in the new Adam, we are connected to the Lord of life, and there on the throne is the head of the new human race. He has a glorified body, but it is a human body nonetheless. Created material. Where did Jesus get his physical human body from? from his mother. And where did she get it from? From her parents. 
And where did they get it from? Originally from Adam. And where did Adam get his body from? Well, he was originally formed from the dust of the ground. So every one of us is created from the dust originally. As is Jesus, the body he has originally from the dust. And now look at it. We have at this moment the dust of earth on the throne of heaven. And that makes all the difference. Because the first Adam was exiled from the presence of God. But in the last Adam, we are welcomed home and we belong. And that means that when my addiction and my failures and my shame and my guilt press down upon me and push me down, I can look up and I can see the risen and ascended Lord of glory who stands continuously in the presence of the Father whose pierced hands testify to what he has done for me, that he has bled for me, that he has washed me, that he loves me, that I am accepted and welcome in the presence of the Father. And when the stock market is down and there are wars and rumors of wars and the economy craters and the social fabric falls apart, and little children are murdered in the insanity of hate incubated by the, incubated by the brokenness and, and the darkness of this groaning world. And when that all gets me down, when listening to the news and watching the news gets me down, I can look up, and I can see the risen and ascended King of kings and Lord of lords, the name above every name, the one before whom every knee must bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, that he rules, that he is sovereign, that history is under his control. That is one of the key articles of our faith. We recite it every Sunday again. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, and that means that he's in charge. That means he's on the throne. It means that he rules. He rules the nations. He rules history. He rules Canada. He rules my life in the tiniest details. <clears throat> Are you living with your head in the clouds? Now, when we talk about people that live with their head in the clouds, we mean people that are kind of out of it. They're kind of clueless and they, they keep making mistakes and they can't be practical. And that's certainly not what Scripture calls us to. But you know, of those kind of people, we can sometimes say that they are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly use. That's not what the Scripture calls us to. But we are, as God's people, living with our head in the clouds. And that head is Jesus, the head of the body. We live as those who are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We live the beginnings of eternal glory. And that happens specifically and especially when we gather as the temple of the Spirit on the Lord's day. And when we gather in worship, in obedience to God's call, we are lifted up in the Spirit into the heavenlies, and we worship the Father in heavenly glory. 
It is in, especially corporate worship, where time and eternity meet, where heaven and earth come together. And the church, therefore, is the temple of the Spirit, that place in this world where humans can be enveloped in the Shekinah glory of the presence of God as the ascended Christ not only lifts us in the Spirit up to Him, but as He also comes to us in the Spirit and is in our midst and dwells amongst us as He comes to us with His word of blessing, as He speaks the word of God to us, as He washes us with the water of baptism, as He feeds us at His table. We're starting to taste the beginnings of the end of Psalm 23, that He sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what we're tasting the beginnings of. What does the Bible say about Christians? The Bible says this, that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We're going to celebrate that next Sunday at Pentecost. That he went up, he set the spirit down, that we live in the holy of holies, not just when we're gathered for church, but when we're at home, when we're at work, we're living in that Shekinah cloud of glory, the presence of of the glory of God in this world, that's gonna do something. If that's true, it's gonna change the way I think and the way I act. It's gonna change the way other people see me. Can people see that in your life? That you live in the cloud of glory, the glory of God. Can they see it in my family? Can they see it in us as a church community? The ascended Lord Jesus is driving history forward. He's not just sitting there in heaven waiting for judgment day and kind of waiting around. He's active. He's breaking the seals on the scroll of God's plan for the history of the world. Jesus even now is making things happen, raising up kings and casting them down. He's on the throne. He's sovereign. He rules. He acts. He decrees. He makes things happen. He won't rest until the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Until the day comes when just like he went up into the cloud, so we will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then heaven and earth will be united. And then the angels will sing over us, welcome home, welcome into the fullness of the cloud of the presence of the glory of the Lord. And we will dwell in that cloud of perfect light and glory, and we will never have to leave because we will finally be home. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Well, let's respond by... Lifting up, lifting up our voices in praise with hymn number 41. <clears throat> 